Uh, we're talking this morning, or the song we sang, talked about being defended, being protected, salvation, security that we find in the Lord. I want to start by, by saying I need that this morning. I need, I need um, y'all to pray for, for my um, safety emotionally. Because, um, yeah, you see, you, guys are still, you know I'm setting you up, don't you? I'm surrounded this morning. And I'm surrounded, at least in the first and the second service, by that which frightens pastors more than anything else. I'm surrounded by retired pastors this morning. <laughs> we had three in the first service, and that I know of, we have three in this service. Two which are normally here, David's in the back and Dad's up front, but we have good friends of, of the family, Ken and Peggy Miller, that are here today, and Ken is also a retired United Methodist pastor. So I got three retired United Methodist pastors in this service, so pray for me. Um, I don't know what the next service is going to bring, but we're, we're thrilled to have, for a little while, Ken and Peggy, they live up in Tennessee now, and uh, Dad and Ken have been, you know, close friends for, since I can remember, I learned so much of what I needed to know about ministry from Ken and from Dad. I can't tell you what those lessons are um, because it would get me in trouble. But, but it's good. Ken and Dad were two of the three pastors that were part of um, when Tony and I got married. Ken and Dad were two of the officiants. There was one other pastor, Pastor Patty Dean. It took three people for Tony and I to, for our marriage to stick. So, um, so we're, thrilled. we're thrilled to have them and welcome them this morning. Of course, I'm teasing about um, retired pastors a little. Um, we're going to be in, in the 91st Psalm in a, in a few moments, if you want to get there ahead of me. I did forget to mention something in the announcements just for you to mark. Tony and I were in Lakeland yesterday and with Cassidy, and we went to dinner, and we noticed, I noticed that out in front of the restaurant, they had some of the billboards up advertising their Valentine's Day special. You know, come for Valentine's Day, reservations is what we're offering, that kind of thing. I forgot to let you know about our Valentine's Day special this year. Here at the church, you can come and get free ashes for Valentine's Day. Because Valentine's Day is Ash Wednesday for us. So we start Lent in, um, in a week and a half. So if you'd like to bring your dates to church, we'll have services that night at 7 o'clock. And I certainly want to make you aware of that. And so that, like I said, that's a week and a half away, believe it or not. We start, we start that holy season. Yeah, I know. It's coming quick. That's what the choir says. And everybody's, wow, it's here. So I uh, walked up this morning during the first service. I came up for prayer time. And I looked down on the uh, platform here. And there was a, a guitar pick down here on the, on the ground, which is not surprising because we have guitar players all over the place. But it, it, it made me, for a moment, made me a little nostalgic because, um, as, as many of you know, maybe not everybody knows if you're new to us, um, Tony and I, our oldest son, Ryan, is a guitar player. And most of you, you know, saw him for years in the praise band as the drummer, but uh, he's now in Tennessee at school. And um, when you raise a guitar player, picks are the norm. You find them all over the place. And, and I got nostalgic because I used to, well, I, I still do. On, on, a lot of times on my day off, I'll try to do laundry. Tony has trained me well and threatened me. So um, I, do, I do laundry. One of the things that I would get used to, to finding every time I did laundry was I would pull guitar picks out of the washing machine or out of the dryer. And I knew Ryan was away at school when I stopped finding the guitar picks. 
But they became something that just kind of a, a visual of, of something that is, is significant in his life. And we have, all of us have these things. Things that kind of draw and are significant about either part of our story or part of the things that we enjoy doing now. Now, one of the things for me, as I've said, that Ryan's musical talent comes from his mother, comes from his grandfather, uh, does not come from his dad. It's not my thing. When I was his age, for me, it was, it was sports. It was football. It was baseball. It was just about anything I could, I could play. And, uh, and I've, I've told the story before, but one of the most vivid memories I have of, of my high school football playing was a practice one afternoon. It really had very little to do with football, but we were out on the field. It was, a, it was an, I believe it was late August, uh, after school practice. You know in Florida in August, it's rainy season, uh, and so you get those afternoon showers. And uh, we were, as we were practicing and, and sweltering out there, some, some clouds kind of formed in the distance. They weren't close. But in spite of that, a moment later, at least it seemed a moment, was the closest I can ever remember being outside and being to a lightning strike. It just came out of nowhere. And we talked about this, that we, we kind of reflected that we thought we remembered our, our helmets, the metal in our helmets rattling right before it struck. Um, but, but in that moment, you know, it was one of those times where you see the light, the flash, and you feel and hear the thunder simultaneously. And it is in that moment that human nature kicks in. Human nature kicks in because there are moments we know and, and whether in whatever endeavors we have that we are taught as, as students and athletes or performers that we look to the guidance and leadership and instruction of, of teachers or coaches or adult authorities. We look to them to instruct us on what to do, what is the proper response or behavior in certain circumstances. I will tell you in that moment, not a single person on that field gave a, a, a lick about what the coaches said. We instinctively turned and we ran to the locker room. It didn't matter. In fact, the coaches were in front of us on the way. There was, there was no waiting to instruct us. They were leading the way. Because in that moment, that, that instinct kicks in, right? Fight or flight, and you're not going to fight lightning. Uh, we, you know, we, we learn in Florida. You learn very, very quick. You don't mess around with that. So, so we got in to ride out the storm. We got into a place of, of shelter, a place of safety, a place of refuge where we were no longer at risk as we had been standing out in an open field. That's, that's human nature. That's instinct. A few years later... I was on a golf course in North Carolina. When I was in seminary, I started playing golf. Um, they would let pastors play free on Mondays, and I was a student, and I didn't have classes on Monday, so we'd go play free. And I was never any good at the game. Don't play it much. And in fact, I haven't played it in years. But I was, I was playing at that point, and I was out on the golf course at Lake Junalesco with a, a, a mentor and a friend in ministry. And, and one of the things up there, some of you know this, some of you don't. You know, down here in Florida, when you pay for a greens fee, you get a cart. Up there, you pay extra for the cart. So we walked when we played because I was in my 20s. We were young enough. It was not a problem. So we're walking. We're out playing golf. We're probably about as far away from the clubhouse as we can be. Same thing happens. Storm comes in. Lightning strikes. Only this time, we are not near anything that we know that we can retreat into quickly. So we start looking around. Where can we go? And we found, you know, kind of tucked off one of the sides, this kind of shack. It almost looked like it was just a small thing that was built maybe to, to put a, a lawnmower underneath. 
But it, it was the only thing we could find, and we retreated under it. The problem was it was a horrible shelter. It was a tin roof, and whatever had riveted, held those pieces together had long pulled apart, so we were barely out of the rain. We were about maybe three feet you know, in, in, in protection in an open-sided building, and you know how the way lightning strikes are. They don't just come down. They go out. So we were not in a safe place. We were in a shelter, but we were, in a not, we were not in a safe place. We had done the best we could, and that was, that was what we could find. And, and I started to think about these two experiences, finding a secure and safe place to be or having to ride out those storms in a place that really wasn't intended to offer much protection and comfort in the midst of the storms. And I think thinking about where we find shelter in life, and there's any number of ways we could think about this, any numbers of examples from, from your life and from my life that we can think. In fact, I had people kind of coming up after the first service and sharing moments when they found great comfort in places of shelter in their lives. But that begins to frame our thinking as we approach this scripture, as we approach this, this song in, in the Psalms. Because what the psalmist is wanting the people of God to think about, his people, wanting us to think about. Where do we turn to in time of need? Where do we go when we need shelter from the storm? And so I want you to hear some of the words of the 91st Psalm. We're going to start with the first four, and then we're going to finish with the, uh, verses 9 through 16. Did you hear these words? Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Now to verse 9. If you say the Lord is my refuge, if you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, we always open our hearts in these moments and pray that you would speak. Your Holy Spirit would speak, that it would touch our hearts, speak to our, our spirits as we seek to understand what it means to love you, to follow you, to serve you, to walk in the way of Christ. So bless these words. May they be of you. And may they draw us deeper in faith and closer to you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. What I know, what I believe I know of all of us, is that we all desire in our life to have safe places. Now, I know that has become a politically charged term, and I just divorce that from the politics that you may or may not be aware of. But, but like, uh, like a, as a young athlete running from a lightning strike, we need places of retreat. We need places of security. We need places where we feel safe. 
Now, if I asked you, where is that place for you, what would you say? Your home. Your home. That's not for everybody, but for a lot of us. That's, that's the first place we think of. Our home as a place of, of retreat, as a place of, uh, of security. I, I've told you before that I, I love the parsonage situation that Tony and I and the kids uh, live in here. That it's one of the best parsonage situations I've ever had because I'm close to the church. I can get up here very easily. But I'm far enough that you all can't see where I live from here. <laughs> And I like that. And not, not that I don't love you, and you are always welcome to call in. If you need, you come on by. But, but it is a good place for me to retreat. Yeah, it's a good place uh, for me because we, we, we need those places in our lives. And that's why if you've had, and I know a lot of us have at some point in our journey, had that experience of having your home broken into and robbed. You know, what, what I hear so often when that has happened, people share, or my own experiences, is that, yeah, we, we lament the loss of, of material things, especially if they had sentimental or, or deep personal value. But so often what that violates, what that robs us of, is a sense of security. It robs us of a sense of this is a safe place because somebody violates that because we need that. And so there is a lot of ways now that we protect our space. You know, when I was a kid, we just locked the doors. That's, that's what I remember. We locked the doors. Uh, nowadays, we have locks. We have alarm systems. We have security cameras. We have window um, rods. We have motion sensor lights. We have technology now where when somebody hits your doorbell, it sends video to your cell phones. We have all these ways that we seek to, to keep our space safe and secure. And that's okay. I'm, there, there's... There is no, no criticism in that. It's just the way the world has changed. I remember, again, I talked about serving small churches in the summers in North Carolina. The first summer I served a church in Denton, North Carolina. They didn't lock their church. Some of you remember those days. Churches were open 24-7. I was like, are you out of your mind? Because it didn't feel safe. What if somebody comes in? It's unfortunate. But, but we do. We want to protect those spaces. And you don't see that much anymore because of, of the risk. We want safe places. We, we do that in a lot of ways in our lives. It's not just our homes. When, when, Tony, when Ryan, I'm sorry, got his first car last year before he went to college, what was important to me was not just, you know, what kind of car was it? What's the gas mileage? You know, what kind of bells and whistles did or did it not have? Uh, but I wanted to know, what's the safety rating? What's the, what's the crash test? How, how's, this gonna, how's this for a safe vehicle? We do, we do this. I, I was at the gym, at the gym the other day, and uh, I, as I was working, I was working out, I was listening to a couple guys talk. They were talking loud. I wasn't eavesdropping. They were talking loud, uh, real close to me, and I heard, the, heard one of the guys say, he's like, my wife's just too conservative. And I went, ooh, I wonder what that means, you know? So, so then I started to listen a little more intently. Because if he was going to say it out loud, I, I wanted to know what he meant. And so, uh, because you never know when it's a sermon illustration. So, what he was talking about was their investments. She liked to be safe. She didn't want to risk losing their investments. He wanted to be more aggressive. But she wanted to make sure her, her assets were safe. Again, so many ways that this applies. We look for safety. We look for security. The psalmist, that's what he's drawing upon. 
That's the image, that's the, the, the human nature that he's connecting to here. Our desire for, to find a place of refuge, a, face of, a place of security, a place of safety. But what the psalmist wants us to understand is that's not found in a residence. Ultimately, that's found in relationship. Not in residence, but in relationship. That, that for us, that what God invites us to in a relationship with him, what God invites us to through the power of his Holy Spirit that works within us, he invites us to, to find in that relationship a place of security and refuge and strength and cover. And so what God desires of us is that, 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 that instinct that when, when life gets difficult, when challenges come, when the storms pop up, that we turn to him as our sense of, of hope and strength. And so that's the image that begins the psalm. I mean, again, if, if you just listen to the, to the imagery that is used, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, in the shadow of the Almighty, who proclaims my refuge and my fortress, who finds cover under his feathers, who makes the Lord his or her dwelling place. God invites us into a relationship in which he says, I will be your cover. I will be your shelter. I will be your refuge, your fortress. I mean, all this imagery, your dwelling place. But there's a danger for us here. There is a risk for us as we read this psalm and we read many of the scriptures, it lends itself for us to very, very easily misunderstand what I firmly believe the psalmist and the scriptures want to communicate to us. Because as we, we read this, we have a tendency, and others will, 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 will proclaim sometimes that what this kind of faith is, what this invitation is, what, what God is saying to us is that if you believe in me, if you come to me in faith, you will not face hardship and difficulties. Your life will be insulated from the troubles that are around you. And we have to be very, very careful of that kind of a theology coming out of that because these words can be used for that understanding. But that's not what the scripture says. Now, now most people don't you know, if you've worshipped here for any number of time, you know that I, I, I do my best to upend that kind of theology every chance I get. And I've never had anybody come to me and say, well, I know that if I just have faith, nothing bad will ever happen. I've never had anyone say that. But I want to tell you the subtle way that works in reverse that I have had a lot of conversations with people about. And that's this. People come and, and they share as we'll talk some of the difficulties and pain and, and, and hurt that they're dealing with. And they will say to me, what have I done wrong? What, what have I done wrong? What is God punishing me for? Now, I will admit for all of us, there are times in our lives when our struggles and our hardships are the result of our choices. They're the result of our sin. There are moments in our lives when we need to be self-aware and say, yeah, I, I've, I've acted in ways that are unfaithful and I'm reaping what I've sown. That is certainly true. But that's not always the case. We live in a broken world. We live in an imperfect world. This is not what is yet to come. And as part of that, as Jesus says, 
The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. But, but here's what's so, so subtle about that question. What have I done wrong? Because the implication there, and I understand the question. I'm not criticizing. If you've asked that question, I'm not criticizing that. Because we search for meaning. We search for understanding. That's, again, part of our nature. But we have to play that out. If, if our belief is that when we have bad things happening, it's because God is punishing us for something, then the opposite must be true. If we live faithful, we live right, we make all the right decisions, then God will insulate us and protect us from any difficulty coming our way. And here's the problem. People will teach it, but you can't find it in here. You can't find that kind of theology that holds up because the men and women of God are never insulated from difficulty. They're never promised that if you believe, you won't have challenges and hardships. In fact, what is so beautiful about the 91st Psalm is that that kind of a theology of protection was presented to Jesus using this psalm. That kind of understanding that if you believe, nothing bad will ever happen was presented to Jesus using that psalm in Luke chapter 4. The temptation of Christ in the wilderness. If you remember the story, remember he's tempted by Satan to turn a rock into bread, to have dominion over all the kingdoms of this world. And Satan says to him, on that third temptation, says, throw yourself from the heights because it is written, and he goes right back to the 91st Psalm, your foot, uh, your foot will not strike a stone that the angels will lift you up. He is saying to Jesus, you will be protected because obviously you're the son of God. No faith is stronger than yours. And remember what Jesus says. He says, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. What Jesus understands is there, are, there is a difference between testing God and trusting God. There's a difference between testing God and trusting God. A test of God looks like this. Lord, I will believe in you as long as dot, dot, dot. Finish it however you want. I will believe in you as long as you live up to your end of the bargain. As we define the bargain. Learning to trust in God is what Jesus does. Jesus does not use faith as an insulator, a protector from evil. In fact, Jesus allows his faith to be the strength in which he confronts evil and he overthrows evil. And he calls us in his power to do the same. I mean, you cannot look at the life of Jesus and come to a conclusion that if you just have great faith, everything's going to go your way. It's Jesus suffered hardships and that you don't as, as I think Philip Yancey said you don't crucify Mr. Rogers you know and, and, and those men and women who have followed in his ways I mean ask Peter whether following Jesus means life gets easy ask Paul if it means you never have any hardships I mean this psalm is written to the people of Israel who had spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt, who had spent 40 years wandering the desert, who sometimes were the conquerors, but sometimes were the conquered. They knew hardships and difficulties. 
What the psalmist wants us to understand is that we turn to God as our refuge and our strength because he gives us a shelter and a protection that is different than how we often define it by the standards of the world. It is not a protection that no hardship will come our way, but it is a promise that I will be with you in the midst of it. The psalm is attributed to David. You know that some of David's most faithful moments of his life, I mean, David is a wonderful study because sometimes he's a screw-up like the rest of us. I love David. David makes me feel better about me. But David is also a man of tremendous faith. Now, remember some of those hallmarks of his faithfulness. The shepherd boy who's anointed to be the next king. The, the, the boy who goes out and steps onto the field of battle against the giant, trusting in God. The boy who brings his talents as a musician to soothe the spirit of the king. The young man who is given in devotion to his friendship with Jonathan. I mean, all these wonderful attributes of faith and faithfulness. And remember where it got David? It got him hiding in a cave because the king wanted to kill him. Writing words like, the Lord is my shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's the promise. That's the promise. David knew it. Didn't mean that things always went his way. Didn't mean that when hardship came, God was punishing. That did happen from time to time. But it meant he knew that in God, he had his shelter. He had his strength. He had his cover. And hear the way the psalm ends, the promises. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue. I will acknowledge. I will answer. I will deliver. I will satisfy. This is what God says he will do. Here's what I know. We don't need shelter when the weather's good. Last, what, September, we all needed shelter because the weather was turning sour. We knew it was coming, and we scattered to find wherever that would be. Today, nobody's going to go home thinking, it might later because it's supposed to rain. But right now, you're not walking out going, I need shelter. The very proclamation reminds us there are times we will face those storms. God's promise is his presence in that and his ultimate delivery. That is our strength. That is our hope. Where do you go? I pulled that sermon title from an old song that Tony and I used to play when we were play for the kids when we were youth ministers, an old song from the loft, which at the time was cutting edge, which my kids laugh at now. But where do I go when I need a shelter? Where do you go? Where do you instinctively turn? There are a lot of shelters that we can go to and some are pretty shallow and they leak and they don't offer any real protection and hope. And then there's the Lord who invites us into that relationship, invites us into his presence, invites us into his strength that allows us to face our storms with the knowledge that the one who confronted the world and has overcome it is at work in our lives. Again, brothers and sisters, when the storms come and they will, where do you go? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, that our hearts would learn to turn to you, instinctively to come to you in prayer and worship and openness in those moments of our lives when our strength is gone and the storms have come to know you are with us and that your love is yesterday, today, tomorrow. It always is and always will be. And that becomes our hope 
and promise. Lord, speak to us wherever we are today and draw us close to you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. When you read the Gospels, you read the life of Jesus, you see where he goes in moments of of fatigue and and difficulty and challenges as he retreats into his friendships with those disciples, as he worships, as he serves and reaches out to those who are hurting and broken, and over and over again, most importantly, as he seeks God in prayer. And, And as we come to communion, we remember the meal that Jesus shared in that upper room. Don't ever forget the events that would follow. As Jesus, in his fear, in his, in his agony, in his anxiety over what is to come, because he is fully human, goes to the garden to pray. And he gets down before God, and those words he prays, Lord, if there can be another way. But here's where Jesus shows us the difference between testing God and trusting God. He's honest. If there can be another way, but don't forget those following words, not my will, but your will be done. And so we remember not only the faith of Christ, the example of Christ, the victory we have in Christ, but that presence of Christ that allows us to find the ability to trust even in those moments when we come broken before the Lord. Remember that on that night he took bread, gave thanks to God, and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. He gave thanks to God. And he gave it to them and said, this is my blood of a new covenant. It is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. So remember Christ who overcomes the world. Remember Christ who promises to be our strength as we do the same. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Gracious God, bless before us these gifts of bread and juice that for us they would be the body and blood of Christ, that we would be a people that are washed clean in the blood of Christ, but are called to live as the body, to live your love, to share your good news, to, to serve you, not to retreat, but to find strength in your presence and the courage to face the challenges before us to trust in you every day that we walk this earth until one day we step into the perfection of your kingdom where suffering and sorrow are no more and forever we share this meal at your banquet table. Lord, we give you glory, we give you praise, and we open our hearts to your strength and your presence now and forever. And we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.